Oh. I remember I was. Um, I know, we're listening to Billy Carson, <laughs> Origins of Religion. Let me go back to the screen here. I remember I was walking on the beach, okay? And <laughs> I was where I go and do my five mile walks. And there was a, a group of, uh, you know, Jehovah Witnesses out there and they're screaming and carrying on and trying to stop people. I said, well, let me just stop. Let me just stop because I need to see how much do these people know about their own religion. And so I stopped and the lady started talking to me and she started telling me about Jehovah Witness and, and Jesus and all this other kind of stuff. And I said, okay, interesting. I said, I'll listen to you if you can answer some of my questions about your own religion. So she goes, oh, yeah, sure. What do you want to know? I said, uh, uh, who, is, uh, who is the person that founded this, um, this religion? She couldn't answer the question. She literally couldn't answer the question. I said, okay, well, that was Charles Taze Russell. Uh, hey, I'm tweeting this. Billy, Billy Carson. Uh, it's not coming up. There's Bill Carson, but he's not on Twitter. Just maybe he's not on Twitter. Okay, I'm gonna. Then I'm gonna. Share this with Facebook. Actually, it's it's. Put uh, I'm posting on music. Ivy Trista. Okay. And Twitter and okay. Are you? <laughs> Nice, uh, Christ. Uh, Trump realized that his, realizes he's going to prison. Have you heard of Coldesi's new direct-to-film printer? It can print hundreds of t-shirt transfers in minutes. It automatically applies a powder-like glue so that they'll stick on almost any fabric. I'm posting this on... Uh... <laughs> what a pussy. Tag people.
to Also posted Christopher Governor underscore POTUS2024. Maybe um, add some music. wants to eliminate sales tax on feminine hygiene products. <laughs> Fucking close. Sanders bans Latinx on first day as Arkansas governor? She fucking won? How is that fucking possible? Oh my god. Banning the use of the term Latinx. What a fucking cunt. Duh. Duh. 
Okay. I don't know if they're going to post this. Okay. Oh, shit. Right, so I'm going to tweet that to Hill. Sarah Huckabee Sanders and uh, Latin X Banning words, banning books, fascists never sleep, apparently. <laughs> what a fucking cunt. Arkansas, how can y'all be so dumb to vote for Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Duh! Or any Republican for that matter. All they want to do is divide us with their stupid neo-Nazi right-wing gibberish and hate speech and take away our Social Security and Medicare, put it in their personal slush fund so they can line their pockets with it! Wake the F up! Stop voting for Nazis, America! What a fucking cunt. Okay, let's get back to the show, man. idiots. Okay, Trump posts deranged video crying about going I'm going to tell you the easiest <laughs> way to make money at home and you 100% have never heard of this before. So, 
So, folks, what does old Donnie do when he's afraid? When the man's back is against the wall, what does he ultimately do? Well, of course he yells, and he complains, and he cries, and all of that. But one critical thing he does is he lashes out with threats at anyone who either has the power to take him down, or the info to take him down, or critically, both of those things combined. And that's what he's done both to on-the-ground people just in the last day, but also directly targeting Jack Smith and the people at the FBI with vicious, vile misinformation and threats. I want to start with what he's doing to some of the regular folks, then set the context a little bit, because it leads up to an unhinged four-minute video of Trump. One of the more unhinged videos you're going to see of this man. And I know the bar for that is high, but it really does show somebody who's afraid and is lashing out at every aspect of law enforcement, including the guy at the top, threatening them in existential ways that are pretty scary. But it starts with what he did to just two regular women, Ruby Freeman and her daughter. We talked about some of this before, but you know, Trump started the day by threatening them. And it leads into what he's doing, because you can't disconnect his attack on the big dogs, like prosecutors and investigators and officers and agents, from what he just does to regular people. And it says here, late yesterday, Donald Trump returned once again to his social media platform to peddle lies about the women and to argue that Freeman might not be able to keep her presidential citizens medal. Ruby, her daughter, and the others who ran back into the counting room, grabbing the cases from the skirted table. This is Trump's lies. And then back to their counting machines where they came from prior to having their water main break, which never happened, have got a lot of explaining to do. I predict that this medal, at a minimum, will someday be withdrawn. Once again, there is no doubt that the former president is brazenly lying. His made-up claims have been thoroughly discredited by, among others, state law enforcement and his own Justice Department, who scrutinized the allegations. There is simply no factual basis for the Republican to attack these women. And let's be clear, Trump is not simply attacking them, he's calling them criminals, and he's directly saying they played a personal, intimate role in election fraud against him. And Donald Trump knows that these threats constitute, at the very least, stochastic death threats against these women. And it's not hypothetical. After he attacked these women the first time, and Rudy Giuliani did as well, and other top Republicans did, they got threats to their lives. They cannot live normal lives anymore. Like, I don't need to look up Ruby Freeman. Like, we don't have time to cover it here, but look up what her life has been like. She talked about it at the J6 committee since Trump and Giuliani and all the rest came at them with lies. And Trump, at, at, it, but let's say Trump was a monster, but not a total monster. He could realize, man, I made up these claims about this woman, and now she's getting death threats. Maybe I should just leave her alone. She's not even that important. But nope, Trump knows what he's doing when he's doing it. And that's what it leads to the FBI. Now listen to these two clips. The first outlines how all of this is happening right now as there's a systematic GOP attack on the ability to investigate higher level criminals like Trump. Before I play you again, four of the most insane Trump minutes you will ever hear. To the news, House Republicans yesterday approved a resolution to create a new select committee on the so-called weaponization 
of the federal government. The subcommittee was approved on a party-line vote and will have open-ended jurisdiction to scrutinize any issue related to civil liberties or to examine how any agency within the federal government has collected, analyzed, and used information about Americans. Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio will chair the subcommittee with the authority to obtain some of the most sensitive secrets in the government, including information me? about no. covert actions. No, 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 no. Jordan uh, says his goal is not to target Democrats or law enforcement officers who have scrutinized former President Donald yes, Trump. Yes, it is. But no, to protect the first th 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 This is all, th this is all, uh, uh, Willie, again, I, I, I just, I, I don't know when the Republican Party became the stupid party, but they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. They're passing legislation in their first days or our resolutions that are going to hurt them two years from now. And here, when they should be putting Donald Trump behind them, they are literally declaring war on the FBI, on the intel committees, uh, on, on, on everything else, just because of Donald Trump. If Donald Trump said some, uh, some agency was bad because, well, he ran afoul of their rules or laws, you know, Do Donald Trump wants these Republicans to go after him, and they're going to go after him. This is the same thing Durham did. Durham made a fool of himself. He made a fool of... He wrecked an otherwise stellar career because he, follow, he, he followed these rabbit trails that ended up in the fevered swamp of, of, of MAGA extremism. And now these Republicans are going to do it again. And again, I'm not upset about it. I, I mean, it, it, MAGA extremists need to keep losing elections. And this is sure to do it. They're just damaging themselves. Yeah, and it's astonishing, isn't it, that one of their first acts in the new Congress is to pledge allegiance again to Donald Trump. Because as you say, this is all that is. This is payback for the FBI executing a legal search warrant at Mar-a-Lago because more than 100 classified documents were found there. They had to go in because of the obstruction that prevented them from being, being returned to the National Archives. Yeah, pretty fucked up. The now famous Twitter files have proven beyond all doubt that the corrupt officials at the FBI have been coordinating a massive censorship, surveillance, and propaganda campaign against the American people and, frankly, against me. In the most recent and notorious example, the FBI worked to stop the truth from being told about the Biden family's criminality. They worked so hard to stop it from coming out and the corruption prior to the 2020 election. They didn't want any bad information to come out about the Biden family. The fix was in, the election was rigged, but the censorship of the laptop from hell is only the beginning of the story about the weaponization of government against free speech. We must have free speech in our country. We must have a fair and free press. As recent reporting shows, the FBI and other rogue agencies have been systematically colluding with former national security officials placed in high positions at They're Twitter so and very likely Hunter's other companies to advance their censorship regime, which is really, in this case, to steal an election. This anti-American effort, and a very illegal effort at that, has been working to silence dissenting opinions on COVID and crucial issues or on public health 
and on the election and elections in the future. They suppressed doctors and health experts who dared to question approved public health narratives. They censored voices who criticized school closures, lockdowns, and mandates, and they even banned people simply for stating proven COVID misinformation. If you're a person who's fairly good with numbers and logic, did you know that you can make $70,000 a year or more as a data analyst? And you can do it with skills that you can learn in just a couple months. There are literally tens of thousands of these jobs hiring right now, and companies are fighting each other and paying big money to recruiting agencies to find qualified people. This scientific facts, and anything bad about China, they didn't want out. But anything. Captain Blowhard. Thanks for a million billion subscribers. Everybody, share the shit. The president is brazenly lying. His made-up claims have been thoroughly discredited by, among others, state law enforcement and his own Justice Department, <laughs> who scrutinize the allegations. There is simply no factual basis for the Republican to attack these women. And let's be clear, Trump is not simply attacking them, he's calling them criminals, and he's directly saying they played a personal intimate role in election fraud against him. And Donald Trump knows that these threats constitute, at the very least, stochastic death threats against these women. And it's not hypothetical. After he attacked these women the first time, and Rudy Giuliani did as well, and other top Republicans did, they got threats to their lives. They cannot live normal lives anymore. Like, I don't need to look up Ruby Freeman. Like, we don't have time to cover it here, but look up what her life has been like talked about at the J6 committee since Trump and Giuliani and all the rest came at them with lies. And Trump, I, I, it, let's say Trump was a monster, but not a total monster. He could realize, man, I made up these claims about this woman, and now she's getting death threats. Maybe I should just leave her alone. She's not even that important. But nope, Trump knows what he's doing when he's doing it. And that's what it leads to the FBI. Now listen to these two clips. The first outlines how all of this is happening right now as there's a systematic GOP attack on the ability to investigate high-level criminals like Trump. Before I play you again, four of the most insane Trump minutes you will ever hear. To the news, House Republicans yesterday approved a resolution to create a new select committee on the so-called weaponization of the federal government. The subcommittee was approved on a party-line vote and will have open-ended jurisdiction to scrutinize any issue related to civil liberties or to examine how any agency within the federal government has collected, analyzed, and used information about Americans. Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio will chair the subcommittee with the authority to obtain some of the most sensitive secrets in the government, including information about no. covert actions. No, 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 no. Jordan says his goal is not to target Democrats or law enforcement officers who have scrutinized former President Donald yes, Trump. Yes, it is. But to no, protect the first amendment. This is all, this is all uh, uh, Willie, again, I, I, I just, I, I don't know when the Republican Party became the stupid party, but they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. They're passing legislation in their first days or our resolutions that are going to hurt them two years from now. And here, when they should be putting Donald Trump behind them, they are literally declaring war on the FBI, on the intel committees, uh, on, on, on everything else just because of Donald Trump.
if Donald Trump said some uh, some agency is bad because well he ran afoul of their rules or laws, you know Do- Donald Trump wants these Republicans to go after him, and they're going to go after him. It's the same thing Durham did. Durham made a fool of himself. He made a fool of he wrecked an otherwise stellar career because. He followed, he, he followed these rabbit trails that ended up in the fevered swamp of, of, of MAGA extremism. And now these Republicans are going to do it again. And again, I'm not upset about it. I, I mean, MAGA extremists need to keep losing elections. And this is sure to do it. They're just damaging themselves. Yeah, and it's astonishing, isn't it, that one of their first acts in the new Congress is to pledge allegiance again to Donald Trump. Because as you say, this is all that is. This is payback for the FBI executing a legal search warrant at Mar-a-Lago because more than 100 classified documents were found there. They had to go in because of the obstruction that prevented them from being returned to the National Archives. The now famous Twitter files have proven beyond all doubt that the corrupt officials at the FBI have been coordinating a massive censorship, surveillance, and propaganda campaign against the American people and, frankly, against me. In the most recent and notorious example, the FBI worked to stop the truth from being told about the Biden family's criminality. They worked so hard to stop it from coming out and the corruption prior to the 2020 election. They didn't want any bad information to come out about the Biden family. The fix was in, the election was rigged, but the censorship of the laptop from hell is only the beginning of the story about the weaponization of government against free speech. We must have free speech in our country. We must have a fair and free press. As recent reporting shows, The FBI and other rogue agencies have been systematically colluding with former national security officials placed in high positions at Twitter and very likely other companies to advance their censorship regime, which is really, in this case, to steal an election. This anti-American effort, and a very illegal effort at that, has been working to silence dissenting opinions on COVID and crucial issues on public health and on the election and elections in the future. They suppress doctors and health experts who dared to question approved public health narratives. They censored voices who criticized school closures, lockdowns and mandates, and they even banned people simply for stating proven scientific facts. And anything bad about China, they didn't want out. But anything bad about Biden and the Biden crime family, and that's what it was, just look at the laptop from hell. They didn't want that coming out under any circumstances. What they wanted coming out was anything bad about your favorite president, me. Anything bad about Trump, put it out, even if it's not true. But this all had nothing to do with science. This had nothing to do with saving lives. It had everything to do with politics or a sick ideology. This was about government working with powerful corporations to seize power over you, the American people. And we can't let that continue. The Twitter files prove that we urgently need my plan to dismantle the illegal censorship regime. A regime like nobody's ever seen in the history of our country, or most other countries for that matter, to prosecute the perpetrators for their crimes. 
and to restore free speech for all Americans. So important. We need a free press. We need free speech. We need fair elections. And we need borders. The new Congress should immediately hold hearings to investigate the role of the FBI and other federal agencies in censoring lawful speech. Congressional leaders should promptly issue subpoenas in furtherance of this goal. The revelations also highlight why my proposal to end the revolving door between the deep state and there is a deep state indeed. I wasn't a believer, but everybody's a believer right now. And the tech tyrant is so important. There must be a seven-year cooling-off period before any employee of these powerful agencies is allowed to take a job at a major platform. When I'm president, we will take back our freedom. We will take back our country. Mental degenerates in this country. So, uh, yeah. That's what you get. Like, you fucking like bunch of wild. mental degenerates. Like, that's wild. And again, Trump is weaponizing stochastic death threats. He's never going to be charged for it. I gotta underline that. In a legal sense, these threats will never hold. But that's exactly what makes Trump so dangerous. When you're a man as unhinged and powerful as him, with a movement that is smaller than it used to be, but still large and crazy, you don't need to actually go and say, hey, I want you to take out that guy, or I want you to take out an officer, or I want you to ruin the lives of these two random women who are just doing their jobs as poll watchers and vote counters and things like that. You just target them, you call them thieves, you call them criminals, you call them enemies to democracy, you call them unfair to Republicans and conservatives, and they'll take it from there. And Trump knows, this isn't the first time he's done it, so whether it's Jack Smith and the DOJ, FBI, again, they're all under the same broad umbrella, Merrick Garland oversees all of them, they're all part of the same team, or it's Ruby Freeman at the local level. Donald Trump doesn't care if these people's lives are threatened by the indirect stochastic moves of his own words through unhinged videos like why don't y'all stand up to that fucking man? Were you baby? recently injured in a car accident? Fucking Look at this much. check for $160,000. If you're looking to get money you're owed for an injury, I want you to imagine you and your family getting that money because I know a way that you can. You're a bunch of fucking mental degenerates, USA people, and that's why we are in this shitty situation because y'all won't say no to these fucking terrorists. MAGA humiliation, what's this about? Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Trump Org is officially a criminal organization. Tony Michaels podcast. Oh, this is great, man. How the Anunnaki became ordainers of destiny. Wow. Got some great stuff. Who's Bonehead of the Week? Um. We'll say Kevin McCarthy.
I love that no one is even paying attention to the third choice anymore. Possible choice this week. Who is the bonehead of the week? Bonehead of the week. Contestants. Orange con man. Is there a thing watch? Let's see, we were listening to the show. Mag Attack on Roblox was his utter hypocrisy. The weekend show, we haven't heard this for a while. Six million in fines and penalties following its conviction on tax crime. It's Sunday, January 8th, 2023. The maximum the amount allowed by law. Trump Organization has been sentenced to pay 1.6 million in fines and penalties following its conviction on tax crimes. Just 1.6 million? Oh, yeah, that's, that's another case. <laughs> oh, wait. Tish James? Is this a Tish James? She was going for $250 million. What's up with that? Mark. Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. Please also subscribe to my 5-Minute News daily podcast on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining us today is the co-founder and executive director of Partners for Justice, Emily Galvin Almanza. Emily, welcome to the Weekend Show. Thank, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. It's been uh, an effort to get you on because you're very busy and you're very popular and uh, I'm thrilled that we've managed to make this connection here. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, just tell us a little bit about Partners for Justice oh, before we start we... talking about the news. Absolutely. So, as you know, uh, the scale of the American mass incarceration crisis is substantial. Uh, at this point, about half of American families have had a loved one locked up in the criminal legal system. And the people who are often most able to create routes out of that punishment bureaucracy. Some of the people most overlooked in the reform conversation, those are public defenders. Public defenders are automatically assigned to 80% of people in the criminal legal system. They're upstream, they have this unique type of legal protection where they enjoy total confidentiality and an ethical duty to zealously protect and defend each person they're assigned to represent. So what PFJ does is recognize how influential and important public defenders are to restoration and to liberty, but also to all of the other things that the criminal legal system touches, housing, employment, education, healthcare access, benefits access, uh, child custody. And so we try to equip public defenders to protect their clients on all of those fronts instead of just in the criminal legal case. Um, largely, we do that by augmenting public defender services with uh, sort of case manager, service navigator, roles that we call client advocates, um, who are embedded with defenders to work on all of those different intersecting needs that their clients bring up that may be drivers of system uh, involvement, they may be side effects of system involvement, but either way, they are the things that are most likely to destroy a person's future. 
make it impossible for them to move forward after criminal legal system contact. So by working on stabilizing housing, keeping a job, um, getting access to visit one's kids or, or retaining child custody, getting kids back in school, um, getting people signed up for food stamps or medical care, holding someone's hand while they complete substance use or mental health treatment, we can then not only create a better outcome for that person who is standing accused, we can then go back into court and tell the story of all that that person has done and achieved and, and struggled with and overcome can tell that story to judges and prosecutors, which makes it more likely for them to give our clients a restorative outcome instead of an incarceratory outcome. So we've been doing this work for about five years. We've grown from two locations to about 25, and we estimate that we've eliminated around 4,000 years of incarceration uh, with this work. Oh my God. Wow. Hey, if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, then I want to understand something, that the demand for virtual speakers is huge right now. In fact, demand is actually outpacing supply. I want you to think about this for a second. Thousands of event planners have had to pivot away from doing live and instead from doing very impressive. I really think that there will be many Americans who didn't even know that this existed, that there was this kind of support network. And, and even little things like getting the DMV to, you know, give someone their driver's license back, right? And it, it, that enables people to live in society and hold down a job or at least get to a job. And, and it's, I guess it's those things. You could put all of this under the banner of rehabilitation in a way. It's about you know, living in society with the same rights as the rest of us. Yeah, it's really about what people of means and privilege are accustomed to when they enter the this system. So yeah. when you mention the driver's license, for example, without a driver's license in most America is built for cars. I think that's a problem. <laughs> in most cities, like you can't get to work. You can't take your mom to dialysis. You can't drop the kids off at school. You can't get to that job interview that could give you a new opportunity without your car. So what do you do? Most people will drive illegally because they, they have a need and they are trying to be a good citizen, a good community member, and they're trying to participate in society. So what that does is create not just a lack of opportunity for people, but also it creates recidivism, right? It creates re-arrest. You get picked up for driving on a suspended license and then you get charged. And if you pick up multiple driving on a suspended license charges, they become more serious. You get buried in the fines and fees associated with that charge. You might even get jail time for that charge. So you take a person who is by all, you know, other uh, lenses, like doing the right thing, trying to go to jobs or medical appointments or school, and you are perpetually punishing them because you've relegated them to a status they're not allowed to achieve in the same way as an ordinary person. A person of means and privilege, they may be able to just pay to get their license back, have their assistant do the paperwork, you know, set it up. So often what we're trying to do is replicate the kind of wraparound care that wealthy people can pay for on behalf of the 80% of people in the legal system who are too poor to afford a lawyer. So really just like leveraging the tools of privilege on behalf of those to whom the tools are frequently denied. Just quickly, was there an event or story in the news or something in your life that, that kind of pushed you to create this in the first place, to, to, to co-found this organization? Because it sounds to me like you, you felt the injustice and you needed to do something about it. Yeah, um, I, I will tell you, it's it's kind of personal. Um, when I was a young person, I had my whole 
personal and family life kind of goes super, super silent. And I had some very bad years with a lot of law breaking and substance use and um, culminated in me getting arrested. And I got really lucky in, in multiple ways. First of all, I'm entering the criminal legal system with like all of privileges, of its whiteness, of education, um, of having a very involved family. I also got really lucky in that I had a judge um, who was himself a legendary advocate for young people who looked at me and instead of seeing the risk of me continuing to, in, to harm the community, that judge looked at me and saw potential, potential to go to college and to have a different path. And he took a chance on me and he, in my case, dismissed and let me I'd been accepted to college at that time. I got to keep my college acceptance. I got to go to college. I got to go on to law school and ultimately become a public defender because that judge looked at me and saw potential. As a public defender, my first assignment, my first year of law school, I, I went to the L.A. County Public Defender's Office for the summer. And I was assigned to East Lake Juvenile, which is the busiest juvenile courthouse in L.A., or it was at the time, um, in East L.A. So I was walking into rooms with these kids who were almost exclusively black and brown kids, all from very low-income families, who had done things that I had done just a few years before. I wasn't that old. I mean, by the time you had law school, you're not that much older than your juvenile clients. And where I had been given a chance and where a judge had seen potential, they were being treated as threats and predators and being given punishments and having their whole future destroyed and taken from them. And sort of this systematized theft of opportunity, um, which was enraging. It's, I think, being a public, <laughs> at least for me, it is far more enraging to do this work having personally experienced the system at its most benevolent. Um, and then watching it be destructive, malevolent, counterproductive, and really actively harmful to communities of color and people who are historically excluded. So I have been really, really angry <laughs> for, for about a decade now. Um, my, my mission became to not just defend people inside the courtroom, but to say, you know, I, part of my restoration was my continuing education. I got to go to college, right? Well, in Eastlake, I had a kid who was two weeks from his high school graduation um, who wasn't going to get to graduate because no one had thought to bring him to school while he was locked up. It's things like that, right? It's things that seem small, but that are creating a, a divergence in a person's life path. Or if we can take care of the small thing, we can look at this person and say, I know this person is, is an important member of our community. This person has potential person is valuable, I'm going to fight for that person's needs, even if they are small, to ensure that that potential is realized, or at least realizable. Um, as a defender, when I would do that, when I was talking to judges, I would have so much more credibility because I was talking not just about the facts of the case, but also my client's achievements outside the courtroom. And, and through that use of detail, the person becomes not just the defendant, but you know, Johnny, who is excelling inexplicably in his 10th grade English class and who actually really, really, really loves Beowulf. And like, yeah, he's failing math, but we can get him a tutor and work on that. And like, this is a kid who 
coaches his little brother's um, little league team and is really, really involved and like, great at showing up for people and who goes to the old folks home and sits with his grandma every Sunday. Once you've heard those details about Johnny, you can no longer see Johnny as the defendant. You no longer see him as the worst thing he may or may not have done. You see him as a person with potential. So I actually ended up practicing at the Bronx Defenders, which is a holistic public defender agency that recognizes the power of this type of defense. And when I was there, I got really frustrated with the fact that that way of practicing is not the norm everywhere. Defenders are not resourced to represent poor people the same way rich people get represented. Well, often people think that if they're assigned a public defender, then it's going to be a bad brief, effectively, or, or the yeah. bottom feeder. Yeah, a public is, pretender. You know, a public right, pretender. A public pretender. And, and, and one of my best friends is a public defender here in Los Angeles, and he's one of the most brilliant people I ever met. When people are asked on surveys, what's the number one reason for failure? You know what they say? Because it isn't lack of money or opportunity. It's always things like self-sabotage, procrastination, getting in my own way, having limiting beliefs. But how do you get rid of that? Because we were never taught that at school. Well, my name is Peter Sage. I'm an expert on human behavior with books published in multiple languages all over the world. And I'm here to tell you that I have the secret that you've been looking for. I, yeah. You know, and, and, and so I... I I'm I'm just very pleased you were able to tell that story to us, and uh, yeah. you know I'll I'll thank you at the end for your work, but at, at this point I also want to thank you. Um, let's just have a quick look at what happened this week in the news because it's been a big old week. Firstly, it's the anniversary of the sixth uh, of January on Friday, which is of course two years since the uh, insurrection. Um, the former disgraced president Donald Trump still hasn't been. Uh, prosecuted or indicted, that could come. Uh, but in the meantime, there's currently no government, effectively. The Republicans won the House, as we know, and as we are talking now, uh, Kevin McCarthy has just lost the 12th vote on the fourth day of voting in the House of Representatives to uh, get the Speaker position. He's, al he's already taken Nancy Pelosi's office, as far as I'm aware, but he hasn't yet been given the job. So uh, obviously we'll talk about that and how that affects us. I want to look at the um, uh, story of Amber McLaughlin, who became the first openly transgender person to be executed in the United States. She died on Tuesday by lethal injection in Missouri, and there's a lot of controversy about that execution. Um, and then finally, the Idaho murder case. Some revelations have come out this week as well as the court records have been unsealed. And so maybe we'll, if we get time, we'll uh, look at that as well. I just want to talk first, uh, before we talk about the fact that uh, this country, as we speak, has no functioning government and no one can get kind of sworn in. You know, even George Santos can't get sworn in until there's a speaker. Although maybe he was the speaker at some point. I think it was on his resume. Anyway. Probably. Um, it is that I come from a, a country that is a social democracy, which is the, the United Kingdom. So we have... Um, until very recently, you could get uh, a public defender, uh, a free uh, legal advisor or solicitor or, or lawyer to, and they actually changed the law on that about 10 years ago. Um, so you have to have committed like a certain crime to get somebody, you know, just cutting back on the on costs. And it, uh, that was a real tragedy for the criminal justice system uh, in, in the UK. However, we do have free welfare, so if you don't have a job, you'll be paid, and your rent will be paid, and your 
kind of bills will be paid and, and all that stuff. And we call that unemployment benefit. And that's just normal. That's just been around since forever. And we also have free health care. So no matter who you are, even if you're homeless, you can go into any hospital. Even you from the United States can come to England and use any hospital for free. I mean, it's kind of amazing. And so I'm a big advocate of that kind of system where you look after people no matter what their social status or standing or, you know, how much money they have in the bank. And then I moved to the United States like six years ago, and I was like, wow, just like reading on Nextdoor, you know, the community site about how much people hate the homeless. Can't we get rid of these people? Like the language that's used is so, they don't even call them people, you know, they refer to them as like vermin. And then, of course, the, the language that's used about immigrants and, you know, criminals, rapists, just like to describe families, just really cruel. And, and that cruelty is something I've always been very interested in. Now, obviously, it's not everybody, and I don't want to kind of, you know, say the U.S. Is a, is, a, is a cruel country. I don't believe it is, but half of it could be, right? Um, and this is what I'm interested in. When did the U.S. become so cruel? Has it always been this way? And, and you know, is there a, is there a, you're fighting against a system that is fundamentally uncivilized. Now, there's some deep Irish ancestry in me that wants to bring up Cromwell, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> go, go for it. Big time. <laughs> I, um, I do think the U.S. has always been this cruel. Um, I mean, you have to remember this is a nation founded as a slaver nation. Um, this is a nation whose prosperity was built by people kidnapped from their homes and enslaved. <laughs> so to say that the U.S. has taken a sudden turn um, is hard because throughout our, our history is, is, is brief, um, or at least the history of our colonizer nation is brief, only a couple hundred years, and yours is much, much, much longer. Um, but it's been one of tumult and division and dehumanization and violence and cruelty and bloodthirst and manifest destiny and conquest. Um, it's a nation made up entirely of immigrants who hates immigrants, except for, you know, native peoples, First Nations living here, um, who are themselves still to this day oppressed in ways that uh, I think most, uh, most white people aren't aware of. It's a nation that often doesn't know itself and its own history, and I think that's really a huge part of it. So you have to remember, America in its greatest years was a nation that aspired to realize ideals, aspired to be a beacon of hope for people oppressed across the world. You know, that beautiful Lazarus poem on the, on the Statue of Liberty, um, and, you know, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, uh, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. It's a nation that um, has tried to conceive of warfare as ideological, whether legitimately or not. All of those periods are times when we um, had our strongest public education system. Public health care system is non-existent. We don't have one. <laughs> you, you're right. If you get sick in America, that is on you. It's a crime to have diabetes. Like, you're going to be bankrupt and mm. die. Well, there isn't uh, really a healthcare system no. here. There is healthcare, but yeah. there is no system. No, we saw that. We saw that in COVID. There's an insurance racket, you know. <laughs> but yeah. but um, you know, we don't have we don't have a, a publicly available healthcare system. Um, but I would say that when our public education system has been great, and when we raised 
children who knew our history and who could conceive of this as a nation where possibility and change is welcomed, right? Where like when we conceive of the American dream as the idea that anyone can come here and have a great idea and use their brilliance to shape the future of the nation and our role in the world and specifically to shape the future of a nation that has great power on the world stage, that is America at its best. That America does not exist without robust public education. And I feel like in so many places what we see is a system of public education that has been deliberately dismantled to create a citizenry who do not know their history and who do not feel um, that sense of possibility that relies on embracing <laughs> change and embracing difference and learning more about the other, that relies on curiosity. <laughs> Instead, we have limited systems of information that, that really are designed to amplify fear and division and make people easier to control. So until we get better public schools in every state, I think we're going to continue seeing American extremism. Hey, if you feel suspicious about a schoolmate, co-worker, neighbor, relative, or even your lover, you need to watch this now. Most people don't know this simple. Powerful. Um, I just want to caveat what I said about the UK because, of course, we were responsible for much of the slavery. The fact, weekend show, Tony, and uh, how MAGA attack really on rule of law didn't get as good exposes or as utter hypocrisy as they are now, as in the welfare and the National Health Service, until after the Second World War, you know, around 1945 46 is when the NHS was created. Um, I think, you know, war in Europe is very different to war in the US because obviously it was on the mainland here in the in the UK and you know the, the, the bombers were overhead and unless you lived in Hawaii that wasn't really happening for you in, in, in the US. And so that brought people together. And the tragedy of war is that it does bring people together. It breaks down those social and racial barriers. This is the weekend show, the Midas Touch. Allied force. We're seeing that little bit in, in Ukraine at the moment. How but mega attack on rule of law the US, exposes utter because hypocrisy. Because it wasn't participating in the war in that way. Even though in the history books, as I've noticed here, I even heard Kevin McCarthy say it once in Congress. You know, the Brits were losing and we went over there and we won the war for them. And I was like, that's not how I learned it. And so there is this kind of revisionist history, isn't there, about this idea that America is this superpower. Do you think there was a point at which things changed? Was it, you know, maybe after the civil rights movement of the 1960s or late 50s and 60s, where there was like a a perfect moment where, you know, the space race was happening, everybody felt good, there was money around, and... of women who've been relegated exclusively to the home and like an alternating like dexedrine and valium situation and <laughs> all of jim crow uh you just set, set that aside I, I 
I think every moment in history is, is fraught. I think that um, our moments of greatest triumph tend to be paired again with great invention and innovation. I think part of what made the space race so exciting um, was not the idea of American exceptionalism, but exceptional achievements by Americans and, and by immigrants, actually, in many ways during the war and thereafter, um, that showed us quite concretely what you know a, a, an explosive force of creative intellect could do. I think that's really important. You have to remember that right, you know, not long after World War II, we were drawn into Vietnam. Uh, and a historical time frame is the blink of an eye between World War II and Vietnam. Talk about a non-unifying war. War that created unbelievable lasting trauma and division to our population. I mean, I still, as a public defender, I can't tell you how many Vietnam vet clients I've had. It's, it was a war um, whose atrocities created psychic scars in our nation that manifest to this day. Wear a mask in public indoor spaces, idiots. Trump virus ain't over yet. And, um, 